anytime I'm, I'm wanting to act out, then there's the invitation to act in. Okay, Elise, could I slow down enough to realize mm. that the, the thing I actually need to change might be an internal experience, the acting in, rather than the acting out, in a society where things are so instant and packaged so lovely for us, <laughs> it does take one, that first invitation of awareness to realize that the world I'm trying to shift out there is actually in here. And then to slow down enough to actually think, okay, so what is the change that you are searching for? If I can get to that core actual need, then I have the responsibility because I am in total agency mm. to take care of myself. That's wellness. I think that's like the full piece of wellness. I get to meet my need. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox. I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. And I'm your host, Mackenzie Vogt. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Living Center Podcast. I'm so excited about today's episode because I know you're going to love our guest, Elise Snipes. Elise calls herself an unconventional therapist. She's the host of TrailerCast Podcast and founder of Radical Wellness Collaborative, a collection of professionals committed to providing excellent care in a radical way, wherever you are on your wellness journey and wherever you are geographically. I am certain you're going to walk away from this episode as obsessed with Elise as I am. She brings so much heart, wisdom, and life to this conversation about leaning into wellness while seeking to fully own our space. She also helps us make sense of why so many of us are making radical, big life changes in this weird time that we find ourselves in. Without further ado, meet our friend, Elise Snipes. Hello! Welcome, Elise. We are so excited to have you on the Living Center podcast today. Thank you for having me. I'm been This has been like a conversation, long time coming, and I'm just enjoying just being here and seeing your actual faces. I know. I know. I feel like, Elise, we've been trying to catch up for like a year. And a year. So we're, we're just going to use this as an excuse to catch up. That's perfect. I'm so glad everybody can else this can way. listen along. <laughs> Thanks for being here, guys, for our catch up. Yeah, just sitting in on that. I'm excited to talk to you because I feel like you're building something really great at Radical Wellness, and I would love for you to tell us a little bit about what you're building and the impetus behind that, but just maybe even how you define wellness mm. and what that looks like for you. Ooh, I love that. Um, okay, so I'll maybe start with the definition because I think yeah. that that's something that's like a living, working definition. So right now, the way that I might understand it is wellness is a lived experience of authenticity in real time that is self-defined and supported. So there's self-supported, but there's also a sense of like there's a community around it uh, because I don't think that wellness is necessarily an individual experience only. And that was a piece I actually believe has been missed for a long time in traditional therapeutic settings, that that's such a uniquely individual space. And so now that definition is broadened for me into this more collaborative, um, just larger, 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 larger space. What shifted it for you of thinking? Because I think so many people, when they think about wellness, think 
about like all the things they need to do to Mm -hmm. self-improve, whether it's their physical health or their emotional health or their spiritual health, you know, it's just like almost like a burden of like being well. (laughs) And um, I'd love to hear how that shift happened where it became more collaborative and bigger for you. Yes. I actually felt sad when you said self-improve because I think that that's been the um, the seduction is that there's something that needs to be improved um, rather than something that just needs to be seen or held or opened or unlocked or championed. And so I, I definitely don't move in a model where there's a linear sense of improvement or we do this and then this happens and now I'm good or better. So the shift happened for me. I was in private practice as a licensed marriage and family therapist here in California for about 10 years. And I was just kind of doing it the right way, right? Like the way that grad school showed me I should. And I was meeting people one-on-one. I had a, a practice I really enjoyed. And I just kept looking at it like, is, so is this it? Like, is it this forever? Is this going to be my career forever? Is this Is this the model that like, I don't know, is there any other way that this might happen? And so I just started deciding I needed to go after my own, like like the burden of what I was carrying when it comes Mm. to the heaviness of a medical model of wellness or a insurance-based model of wellness or a clinical-based model of wellness. And so I just kind of went a little rogue and I moved out of a traditional office space. I bought a vintage trailer. I moved my office to the beach. I started moving more into um, a lot of the practices that OnSite uses as well in regards to um, mm-hmm. the like um, an in time. Let's let's show me, don't tell me, and things just really started to open up from there because I'm like, we have to keep moving this model forward. It, it's not dead. Yeah. <laughs> <It's>, mm. <laughs> Did you see a shift in how people were receiving that? And how did that transform the work that you were doing with your clients? Yeah, yeah. Okay, the first thing that shifted was, I mean, obviously I'm explaining to people, hey, so you're gonna come meet me at the beach, like on the sand, in my vintage, in this trailer. And immediately, the first thing people would say when they'd get there is like, whoa. And so like that whoa, like Mm. space, immediately opens up, what the time we're going to share is going to be. Mm-hmm. Okay? And so when you, when you think about, like, think about the doctor's appointments or dentist appointments you go to, we go to a medical building. We probably have to put a mask on or um, put on different clothes to go there. Like there's things that we'll do in order to arrive to a doctor's appointment. And so when that space got shifted to, we're going to meet at the beach, um, leave your shoes outside. You can hear the ocean. You can see it. And it's just so expansive that in and of itself began to shift what people expect from their experience, right? And so if I expect that I'm kind of going to a sick place to get well, like medical buildings are typically like for people who need something in order to be well, but the beach isn't that. The Mm. beach is luxury, it's vacation, it's play, it's wild it's bigger than us and so the shift in what we create in our physical space began to open up i really believe the internal experience of what people thought could be possible for them in their internal journey as well 
Hmm. As you were talking about it, when you first initially said I moved to a trailer on the beach, I thought, like, what a invitation to peace just being on the beach. Like, there's, there's mm-hmm. it feels really inviting to do that kind of work in that space. And so I love that you affirm that with that space. And it also makes me think of like a shift from a sickness model to a mm-hmm. wellness model. And we talk mm-hmm. a lot about that at Onsite. Uh, it's not what's wrong with you. It's what's right with you. And if mm-hmm. how do we start to incorporate the things that holistically care for you? What are some other things that you've seen in your practice and the way that you guys have expanded even your offerings yeah. to put people in that ease or um, change up the space or even just come at it from a wellness model rather yeah, than there's something good. wrong with you. Mm-hmm. So so what you just said, um, the lesson will land if people mm. can come to it on their own. So good. it is so much less about what I might say or what I believe about the person I'm working with or what I see in them. Like those, those things, albeit true and kind, are... It's completely irrelevant if the person I'm working with can't also see and hold their radical goodness, right? Their wellness. And so initially what's taught in grad school is that we're supposed to hold all the power and all the things and we're supposed to lead these people to this thing. (laughs) And it sets up this model of dependence, a hierarchical model of dependence on the provider. And so what begins to shift is if, if I can... Uh, level the experience of what that person might see, how might they might self-define, how they might experience their wellness or themselves, and hold up a clear enough mirror for their mm-hmm. reflection, not what I believe about that person, then it feels um like it's a sub- it's more subtle than like these big boom moments that we might anticipate happening. They're subtle shifts of I do see that about myself. I am starting to realize that, okay, maybe, maybe that wasn't my fault or maybe that's not my responsibility. And if we can get in like, like that first initial experience of, whoa, when they show up Mm -hmm. to this trailer, like, whoa, if we can ride that kind of, whoa, into like, ah, (laughs) then I think we're there. The way that, that the trailer and that type of a wellness model or a person's self-determined path supported by providers who believe in their right to themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, radical wellness started developing out of, I also don't believe that therapists need to be a, a jack of all trades. I would so much rather people be brilliant in their specifically niched space. So within the team that I really believe began to self-generate, we have a somatic experience therapist. Uh, we have a spiritual director. We have a person who works with just creativity. So we're mm. supporting people, not just through a therapeutic lens, but through all the ways to wellness, which is what if we worked through creativity in your wellness, and through your physical body in your wellness? And those are not things that come out of traditional grad school. Mm. Really cool. I know, like something that you said a second ago about how if people come to it on their own, it's stickier. I know sometimes when I'm struggling, I just want someone to tell me the answer. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) And I feel like that sometimes those are the conversations that I'm having in my therapist. I'm like, just tell me. I know you know what to do. Just tell me. Um, And it can feel sometimes frustrating that I have to like find my own pathway there. Mm. Yeah. 
Oh, that's so fun. Okay. Okay. Um, so depending on the person that I'm working with, because there's time, I mean, I felt that way in my own therapy. I mean, that happened last week. I actually phoned a friend after my therapy appointment to be like, Ugh, I'm so <laughs> frustrated right now. Why wouldn't she just, you know, solve this for me? Right. How fun. It's such a therapist yeah, thing totally. to do to talk to my therapist on the phone. So I do like to be, I like to challenge. I've, I can be, um, punchy sometimes in that space mm -hmm. of, okay, do you, you want me to answer this for you? And like, I might just be like, all right, cool. So here's what I see. And then mm -hmm. to see, is that really how you wanted this to go? So yeah. it, I don't always like the cat and mouse. Sometimes it can feel that way where I feel yeah. like I don't need my therapist to leverage her power against me. Sometimes if I'm asking, Hey, I really am in this place and I do want to know what you think. I hope that they would tell me. I hope that they would say, well, this is, at least this is your pattern. Um, and you tend to give away your power and yield to authority and you're doing that again. And so would you like me to be complicit with you in that relationship right now? Or do you want, what would, or how else could we do this? Yeah. Ooh, yeah. That's so good. <laughs> Talking to myself and to you at the same time. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's the other thing too, I think is, um, I think sometimes we're taught to not tell people what we actually think, right? We're not taught and you're supposed to keep those things to yourself. But I think that that's also like the, there's a uniquely crafted barometer or mirror, right? That we can sense the temperature, sense what's going on that say, if I risked sharing this or saying this or calling you in, right? Not calling you mm -hmm. out, calling you in, there might be something really powerful that was here, even though I wasn't supposed to do it that way. But what if you're on the other side of that? And what if there is this tension of feeling like, I don't even know how to determine what I actually feel or I see, and I have a lot of mm -hmm. doubt or I need this confirmation from other people. Yes. What does that look like within the work that you do with other people or even, even within yourself? Yes, I love that. I guess philosophically, the way that I understand that is mm -hmm. everyone's trying to figure out their way into this pool, right? And if, and if the pool was spontaneity and authenticity and joy and mm -hmm. us being able to just kind of be the way we really want to be. And, mm -hmm. and some people uh, jump in, that's like, I, they see it, they run, they're like shedding their towel and they're got to get in there. And others come and sit and want to see how other people, other people do it and they are going to watch first and then they might see if there's if there's a lifeguard on the deck do I need sunscreen <laughs> I just ate I should wait you know before I get it I mean there's like we just have these uh, these ways and I just think however however we get to it and whether we enter in cannonballing in the deep end or touching a toe in, in the shallow end that if we can commit to people's autonomy, however you need to get in and whatever pace you need to get in, then we're not going anywhere. So hmm. out of that metaphor within radical wellness, we meet with each person individually to really understand where they're at. And so we created like an intake process that's like every unasked question, everything I've ever really wanted to ask somebody upon first meeting them that like, let's get to where it's at. And then we run it at your pace. Hmm. Not what I say we need to meet this often. Let's really see how often it serves you to do this work. And we can only really know that 
by doing it. And so then it's a living, an ongoing kind of living reevaluation of, I need to see somebody today. I need to see somebody two weeks from now. I need, this is what I need. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Now we've already started helping you take ownership and accountability of I'm in touch with what I want. I'm in touch with what I need and I have access to it because we've already established that we are committed to each other. And then we, and then we go, we get in the pool. Yeah. I love that. And I, th- I think a lot of people, I get asked this all the time about onsite is like, people will say like, who's your typical client? Like who should come and do onsite? And I'm like, mm-hmm. we see like such a wide range of, you know, like people that are looking for personal growth to people that are in crisis yeah. and everywhere in between. And I think the same is true of just, you know, like local counseling sessions. Mm. But I love the idea of sort of going to therapy to what you're talking about, sort of get into the pool, like unlock capacity maybe. that Yes. I, I think for me and why I go to therapy is because – Sometimes I can be such an observer that I realize I'm not like stepping into the game fully. Mm-hmm. And then I feel frustrated that I'm not playing the game and the other people are and they look like they're having fun, you know? And so totally. it's really been about like, how, how do I like catch myself from being in the patterns mm-hmm. and, and sort of like preemptively in day-to-day situations? Like I, I laugh because I'm, I'm like in my forties and I'm talking to my therapist about my relationships with my friends. And I'm like, does everyone do this? Or like, should I have figured this out in junior high? You know, like I think <laughs> we all feel that way, but it really is the stuff of like, how do I walk through this conflict? Well, and mm. not have to clean it up on the back end. And how do I have those proactive conversations in the workplace uh, so that I can go from, feeling overloaded to like really taking control of situations and telling people what I need, you know? Yes. And, and that for me, therapy has been such a practical like day-to-day tool of like, hundred percent. how do I yeah. show up as more fully myself? Yes. How do you see that? And like, are we're most of your clients coming in along the spectrum? That's good, Lindsay. I also just love how much you just normalized like what therapy can be for And that is, so Radical Wellness um, started 2017. So it was before, um, before coronavirus and we were pretty exclusively telehealth. So we were online because we have um, providers that are across the country. And what we noticed was that too, was we wanted to have this accessibility where for women or for working moms, they tend to be double taxed when it's time for them to go to therapy. So they have to pay to get a babysitter or they have to leave their work. And it, that, that's, as a working mom, I'm like, oh gosh, it just makes it so much harder for me to get to where I want to go. I now have to find the childcare and pay for the childcare and leave my work and or leave my kids and then drive. And I'm like, honestly, I don't have... I don't have that in in this in my margins right now. And so sometimes radical wellness has been birthed out of our own desire to have things the way we want them. I want access to that now. I want I don't want to compromise quality care because it's geographically next to me. Mm-hmm. And the mm. internet offers us that opportunity. And then COVID just exploded that for us where it was like, there's a lot of validity that was brought to the telehealth space how yeah. intimately personal it has become when instead of you getting all 
put together to come to my office, I can hear your kids crying. I can see the laundry piling up. I can sit with you right there and just, and just, we can just be like, oh, oh, I see you actually as you are, not how Mm. you want me to see you when you've put yourself together for you, for me, for this work, like you don't have to do that. So the, because we are in a telehealth space, we do have a pretty clear distinction between crisis counseling. Uh, We refer to places like onsite where please do the deep holding Mm -hmm. that type of work in person in a place where we know that you're so wrapped up the ongoing aftercare or the type of work where I'm going because I just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. I don't know why that person bothers me or why my relationship with my mom hasn't changed or we're pretty clear about who we serve and Mm -hmm how we can support them with um, different types of work. That's really helpful. I'd love to talk a little bit um, more about what you were saying of that like double taxed aspect of it and some of Mm -hmm. maybe even, I know that's within my own life of finding the space and capacity physically for therapy and then even creating like that emotional margin sometimes of like, okay, now I'm going to need a ramp up time on this and a ramp up time, ramp down and then to go right into life and what are some of the things you see uniquely for women, like in therapy space and the women that you serve? Um, because just even hearing you say that kind of gave me a, yeah, like I'm not the only one. Like Lindsay was saying, she sits in her sessions and is like, is everyone talking about their relationships in this yeah. way? So I was thinking like, is everyone feeling like therapy is just another thing to add to their to-do list? Totally, yeah. mm-hmm. totally. Okay, so I uh, here's what I... I was a sociology major when I was in college. Mm-hmm. And so the way that I kind of look at wellness for just for our culture specifically is that there's a demographic of people that are in this middle zone where they are under-resourced and yet they're withdrawn from more than other people. And so we are, and I would include myself in this category where we are well enough to take care of other people, but busier because we're expected to take care of a lot of things. So if you look at like C-suite women, if you look at female entrepreneurs, if you're looking, and I'm just strictly, we were strictly looking at women to begin with because we were all women, Mm -hmm. is these women are asked for everything. And most of them are not actually receiving support. Like it, it was actually startling to me to think like, mm. what the discrepancy and, and is in what is expected. And then I also thought if we could resource that demographic of women, then we would essentially be also resourcing everyone that they're connected to. So every single person mm-hmm. who is asking their PTA president or asking, you know, their friend who um, seems to be doing really well, then their their resources will be shared so broadly. And then we're actually resourcing the people who can also do something with the resource. So mm. when I have been in crisis, I am not available to that type of work. What I need is someone to help feed me. What I need is someone to help me like get my life the basic part of that pyramid put back together. Yeah. So that that there there was definitely a, a to me a gaping hole in where the resources go, and they were going predominantly. Um, I want to say like a, 
a higher functioning level of resources were going all to crisis counseling. Mm -hmm. And people would Mm -hmm. come in for five sessions and then feel better and then leave. And all those resources were going where? Not to where the person is going to um, actually put those back into their community. Mm. Hey friends, what comes to mind when I say the word community? Maybe you think of your family or your coworkers or that group of friends you had in college. Maybe you picture your favorite TV show, like Friends or New Girl. I hope for you that that word feels warm and connected and safe. But unfortunately for many of us, that word can feel distant, lonely, or even empty. We want and need community. So why does it feel so stinking hard to come by? We often say at OnSite that we're hardwired for connection. But if we're hardwired for connection, why do we feel so disconnected? It should be so simple, right? So why does it feel so frustrating? Many of us are realizing that the last two years have left us lonelier, more disconnected, and that our community wasn't quite what we thought it was. That's why we created our brand new Emotional Health Masterclass, Building Healthy Community. Through guided conversation, clinical insight, and super practical application, this class will give you the tools you need to stop letting loneliness dictate your life and start creating the relationships that matter. Head to onsiteworkshops.com slash community and use the code podcast at the checkout to get $40 off. Now, back to the show. I've never thought about the the multiplier effect of sort of helping people that are influentially helping other people, which is so many of us in different ways, and really them investing in themselves is an investment in their communities and, and their families and... So it's not selfish. Oh, it gives me the chills. Um, I love Mm. hearing that you're a sociologist major. That's so fun. (laughs) Um, And so what that would tell me is that you kind of are taking note of trends of what you're hearing. And we're in such an interesting time right now, maybe coming out of, you know, a a year of being more on Mm. lockdown, you in California, definitely so very stringently. And there was an article talking about how in April, it was like the biggest percentage of people were resigning from their jobs. They're calling it the great resignation because so many people are leaving work, leaving relationships, making big life changes because they've had this Mm -hmm. time that potentially they've used as a reset. I'd love to hear like how, what you're seeing with people that you talk to or trends And then also how, as people are thinking through potentially making a big life change of their own, how do you gauge like, I'm doing this out of a place of health or I'm doing this out of a place of reaction and it could be something that I'll regret later? Mm, That's a good question. Lots lots of questions. (laughs) All back to one. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I'm going to start and then work my way back. Um, I... I would, I would want to pull that decision out of an idea that this is either healthy or something I'm going to regret okay. because mm. I've made healthy decisions that I don't, you know, I'm just like, yes. I just, it's, such yeah, a, that, it's an interesting frame, right? You've made healthy decisions that you regret. Yeah. So if, so there is a lot of st- things got stirred up and we have to, what happens is like people have been caged, right? And so there's like this act hunger, right? Or there's this sense of, I'm I'm going to explode my cage if I can't get out. And so I, mm-hmm. either I'm going to get let out or I'm going to destroy this thing. Like there's been a lot mm-hmm. of that. And whether the cage is your marriage, your workplace, your role, your kindness, your belonging to a certain group that no longer serves you, 
oh, people are done. And I had, a, I had a micro experience of this last week. I was in the hospital with my daughter and it's like this mm. tiny micro shakeup. And what mm. happened to me when I could no longer carry all the extraneous things of translating for people's well-meaning intentions. And so as, as soon as my cup is full, taking care of my daughter, I was, there's no, nothing else I can hold. And so what that mm-hmm. did is it gave me a big old magnifying glass to see what are all the things I'm holding all the time that are taking up space that are really not mine. And so believe it or not, I don't actually need to be that accommodating of this person, or I don't actually need to always be shifting everything for, for this relationship. And, and, and so my little micro experience blast that into that micro global experience. We haven't had a global pandemic you know, we've, we've been hit by, we're always hit with the flu every year. We're always hit with certain things, but a gl- mm. the global shakeup, we've, we have yet to have seen something so widespread and so large. And so I think what happens is people all of a sudden realize that when they're taking care of their basic needs, there was less room for the BS, less room for the things that they actually can't stand and now mm. don't have the resources to just handle it or, or stay silent or be quiet about it or, or stay in. So that is, I think, it was, there was an upheaval. Now, healthy, not healthy, regret, not regret, better ways to do that, sure. But at least respond, at least wake up, at least res- do something, make some noise in response to the shakeup. Because there's, it's opportunity to see what has always been there now it's just really large and in our face that rub that that's like oh I just I used to like not love that and now I really just feel like violent about it so so yes since April and even before that people have stopped tolerating intentionally what they were choosing to tolerate before I personally love it I love a little shakeup. I'm I'm like yeah let's Oh, it's getting shake. Let's shake it up. Let's keep going. Let's let's maximize that to the point of discomfort, so we can see then where you might come back and decide what is your step. So if you really want to explode that thing, let's play it out. Explode it. What's it going to look like? What's it going to sound like? Be like where are you going to live? What's your life going to be like? How is that? Okay, where do we want to turn the volume down? Where do we need to push it even further? So we have to unlock, and people get a little bit can give you afraid or gun shy about what might happen if they do that. And so if we maximize that, if we turn up all the things and then see what that might feel like, then we can kind of, then we can come back safely to see what actually feels like a good next step. I love that. I mean, I I do think we're, it's that feeling of, yeah, needing change sort of Mm -hmm. desperately, like having awareness of like something's got to give and I think sort of what you're speaking to is the importance of understanding what got you there and Mm. what the things are that are making you feel that way. Our old COO, Janet, used to always make us like play out the, okay, like let's take this all the way to the end, kind of like you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Let's play out the scenarios. And I think that's where I sometimes go wrong because I can live in an idealistic version Mm. of my future, you know, and like really mm. start to play out this, the choices mm. and like, what could they look like? And you're never going to get it right, but right. at least you'd have to start to have a sense of like th- these ideas being grounded in reality of like, mm-hmm. do I stay or do I go? Do I um, like thinking mm-hmm. through 
what comes after resigning mm-hmm. from your job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you, you pr- probably need some income. So what are you going to do? And what's that going to look like? And what's the toll going to be in getting either something on your own started up or finding another job? And so I, I like the idea of sort of looking to the future and thinking through not only the decision of do I stay or go, but like thinking through what is this actually going to look like mm-hmm. with the different choices and then what make your decision somewhat based on that. It, I also think everybody needs their own level of safety. Right. And I can't answer that yeah. for you. And, and so like, so it's so like my husband and I, four years ago, we quit our jobs within one day of each other. And we were like, we're done. We're out. We're so out. And <laughs> And there was no next job. Like that was like, we literally drove to Oregon to buy this trailer to come home to put it together to work for an office. So obviously I need a lot less, I need a lot less safety. I'm a little more like leap first. And my husband's on the other part of that spectrum and he would really like to know the whole plan, please. And thank you very much. And so he was obviously at a place where at that point he was at his edge and he, and he leapt, which that to me showed me how desperate his circumstances were. So mm-hmm. I think that there are times where we would like to, but it, that really is an illusion. There, there, there's, there's, there's no guaranteed plan of what's next or that no. that'll be this, this thing or that thing. That's just our idea, which says, I need to feel a certain way in order for me to take this step. And so I'm going to imagine my next career and so some people will call that imagining and some people will call that planning and some people will, you know, we'll call that whatever we want it. But safety is not something that comes from our next career or um, an IRA. It's, there's an internal locus of safety. And if I feel safe within myself and I trust myself, trust that I'm going to make this decision, trust that I'm putting in those resignation papers, trust that I'm going to say what I need to say. Um, I believe that I'll know my next right step as well. That's really good. And I just like the whole time you were talking, you did it from such a graceful lens and like giving so much permission because I feel like this season has been so confining and I, yeah, I just love the way that you were so, so graceful in your response of, Hey, this is actually a good thing and reframing it. Um, I think even for me, as I'm listening to you, there are areas of my life that I like was just itching for change. And I had to be like, is this change necessary or is this just I'm feeling trapped and it could be anything and it keeps you when you start to go down that road and do those steps like you were presenting it keeps you from making those decisions that you know you're making a decision that you might not actually want to make or you're making a decision that Mm -hmm. is less safe and Mm -hmm. so yeah I just am really grateful for the the permission way in which you did that because I think sometimes we just need someone to tell us hey you're allowed to do that like you're allowed to imagine what it would be like let's blow it up what would happen next? I hear you. <laughs> like, you're like, yeah, right. There is that. All of a sudden, it's like, oh wait, wait, that's the conversation we're having. Oh yeah, yeah, I do want that too, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, let's <laughs> what? What could happen? Yeah. <laughs> and I think also it just is with our collective atrophy for not being able to make decisions this last oh, yeah. year. I don't know if you've seen. Have you seen that at all with people you've worked with? Of I'm not sure I know how to make decisions because so many of the decisions I would have had to make got kind of mm. got put on a back burner or I didn't, I wasn't forced to make the decisions because my options were so limited. How do you get out of that? Okay. So I actually think that's the homecoming. So I think that we have been mm. over, 
over-educated and have so many action plans that we've moved away from instinct. So what happened this last mm. year when we're talking about like, am I, is this a reckless decision? That might be an instinctual decision that you need to make. And so I, I think that there was actually a return this last year rather than um, ha- like, is this okay? Is that okay? Let me check with this person. And like, let me check in with my eight bosses and, and, mm. and is this going to work? And, is this, and it's like, we've moved so far away from actually in instituting the change that we need because we're making sure everything's okay. That's not, that's not decision. That's still safety seeking. Oh, good. But safety is so nice. It just feels so good. safety external or safety internal. And what's the, you know, the relationship between those, right? Mm. So yeah, safety inside means yeah. that anything can be going on outside and I'm still going to be okay. And I think sometimes we can confuse mm. or exchange that if everything is safe and okay out there, yeah. then I'll be okay in here. And can we see why we might never actually experience safety internally? Yeah. Oof. That's good. If it's dependent upon and external people, things. Which never listen. <laughs> no, I know. I, not safe. My Enneagram subtype is self-preservation. And so it's it's so funny. Um, a therapist that's here in Nashville that's very into the Enneagram always talks about how your subtype is like, uh, like almost like an herb that you, everything in your life is flavored with. And that it just permeates. And that is, I, that spoke so deeply to me because I am constantly trying to manage everything around me to keep it safe instead of doing the work to create that internal safety. How can you kind of like begin to, mm-hmm. for other people that struggle with it, like how can they sort of grow that safety muscle mm, inside yeah, themselves? So um, I'm also self-pres, so I hear you loud and clear. The, um, to me, I notice when I am externally trying to seek either control or chaos, right? Because I think, remember, I think that control is on mm-hmm. one side of the spectrum and chaos is on the other side of the spectrum. And so sometimes we're trying to create either one in order for things to get to an equilibrium. So what I am trying to mm-hmm. shift out there, and if I can start to realize it, for example, when I want to pull everything out of my closet or when I decide that I I want to make a, I'm drastically going to like shave my head. Like all the things I'm like, what is happening? Mm -hmm. Oh, go in. And so anytime I'm, I'm wanting to act out, then there's the invitation to act in. Okay, Elise, could I slow down enough to realize that the, the thing Mm. I actually need to change might be an internal experience, the acting in rather than the acting out in a society where things are so instant and packaged so lovely for us, <laughs> it does take one, that first invitation of awareness to realize that the world I'm trying to shift out there is actually in here. And then to slow down enough to actually think, okay, so what is the change that you are searching for? Okay, what's under that? What's under that? And I have to ask that, what is under that? Okay, what's beneath even that? Do I get to Mm -hmm. the most, I want to say the most honest place, right? Because sometimes I think Mm -hmm. it's it's way up here. It's like, no, it's not that. Keep going, girl. Keep going. Keep going. If I can get to that core actual need, then I have 
the responsibility because I am in total agency to take care of myself. Mm. That that's wellness. That's I think that's like the full piece of wellness. I get to meet my need. I can. I think that's so beautiful that instead of acting out, I get to act in. And I think it's, you said earlier, it was a homecoming, but I think it's such a homecoming back to ourselves. And when we connect with that, we're able to show up wholeheartedly. Mm. We're able to do all the things that we've been talking about. Um, and yeah. so I love that reframe. And I think it's it's an invitation that I'm going to take yeah. because I often feel the need to act out and just mm-hmm. do something. Mm-hmm. Um, that invitation to stillness is, is almost scary for me. So yeah. it is yeah. Vulner- vulnerable for sure. It's vulnerable. Yeah, it's scary. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, but I can fix everything out here if we just yeah. keep on out here. That feels more comfortable. Yeah. Think of yeah. it like when you're landing a plane, like like there's when we're flying a certain altitude, which is maybe being mm-hmm. really outside of ourselves. And then when we start to land, there's usually that weird bumpy space of like, okay, everyone needs to fasten their seatbelt and it's a little shaky. And I think that that's when we first stop to descend into ourselves. And when we hit that mm-hmm. spot, people are like, oh, it's too noisy in here. We're too uncomfortable in here. I don't know what to think, or I don't know what to say when I'm with myself. And so we want to like, we want to surface, I'm going to get higher in a way. And it's like, if we can just allow ourselves to descend beyond that band of turbulence, beyond that band of noise, then there is an actual like still grounding space, but just beneath that, if we can realize that this turbulence or this noise or what's uncomfortable is just a layer. So, hmm. As an Enneagram seven, that turbulent area would be where I would eject. I feel like I, I have grown a ton in that, but that, that tension of like, okay, yeah. how do I eject out of here. That's what I was at. The image mm-hmm. I had is pulling the parachute, like getting out of the plane completely. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Enne- Enneagram wise, oh. so I'm Enneagram four and gotcha. our growth journey, right, is towards each other. And so mm-hmm. the the journey of the four is to lighten, right, is to, yeah. and then also for the seven to pull you towards that, the way towards your lightness is that pain will not kill you. <laughs> So could we move towards a middle with each other, right? Where you could borrow from the turbulence means things are just about to get good. That's how I hear it. When I'm like, oh, it's about to go down. (laughs) Yeah, this feels real. Yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) That's the beauty of community. So what we just did, we can kind of see if you lived strictly in seven and I live strictly in fordom, then we'd really be lacking um, how we could borrow from each other's gift how we could see that, oh, I didn't know that's the way you think about that. That's such a cool reframe. Or I didn't know, Mm. that's so interesting. So I'm less alone and all all of a sudden things are exponentially like quantum opened for me to see that there's so many ways for this to occur, not one singular way for wellness to be or for Elise to be. And so Mm. that, that is the gift of community and collaborative work with a team of people to care for you or with a team of friends to love you. Yeah, I love it. Earlier when you were giving the analogy of the pool, mm. that I was thinking about the Enneagram at that point, because I was like, yeah, like everyone and just our personalities in general, it's like everyone's like way into the pool is so different. Yeah. And there mm-hmm. isn't, I think sometimes we have a tendency, especially to watch the sevens and be like that. I want that looks so fun. I want my way into the pool to yes. look like that. And it doesn't, <laughs> you know, that doesn't work for me. So it, like the, that's where the Enneagram uh, and we'll include some links about the Enneagram afterwards yes. for people aren't familiar with it. But 
it's been helpful to be like, oh, there's so many different lenses mm. that people like are entering into spaces and entering into themselves. And so it, that it's been yeah. such a helpful tool for me, not only to have a deeper understanding of myself, but really to open up a graceful lens of like the world and all the people I'm interacting mm. with. It makes me think of your definition of wellness and that shift you made that it's not an individual experience. Because uh, I think the community, wellness can't happen just in isolation. Um, An understanding of ourselves can't happen in isolation without understanding and and growing and being in that type of community Mm -hmm. where people are challenging you, where you're seeing how other people are growing, where you're kind of having that balance back and forth of collaboration. And so, yeah, I just think that's such a beautiful gift and a, a holistic picture. Yep. That you're talking about. What does community look like in this journey for all of us? I so the way I I understand it most is I think of it like a potluck and I'm like if everyone just showed Mm. up with like potato salad, it would be the most like bummer ever potluck. We'd just be like, and so when we think that the gift we're supposed to offer looks like what somebody else has offered, then it's lacking and it's also bland Mm. and like. Mm, like it's yeah. <laughs> mm. sad oh oh and you had another dish you could have brought and you thought you needed to bring potato salad here now look at how much less we are because you decided not to bring your special aunt's whatever you know recipe and so that's totally like that's the lens of the enneagram four right which is variety is the spice of life and and originality and authenticity and the more you you are then the more full our table is and and more is more and the more people with their special um thing dish that they get to offer then we get to taste it all and see what's good and what's good for us and what i what i do like and what i don't like but i get to decide and and i'm invited everyone's welcome like i just love the potluck idea of community and i can see that just this giant feast of being able to be together and share um, where I'm at now in my own idea of community, though, is I used to think that in order to belong, I had to almost lose myself. There was a sense yeah. of I need to curb or curtail or, you know, soften the edges of of me in order to be welcome. And some of that is an external, like I could want to read a cue and then I would internalize that message as I need to do this. But also yeah. that it's also an internal self-eclipsing, not just an external yeah. thing. Not Someone never really directly said, do, 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 do. So now I really want to understand what does it look like for me to belong so wholeheartedly to myself that I don't edit myself mm. on this podcast, in this relationship, in, in this workplace, with that client, in my partnership, with my children. Like, I don't want to I don't want to be so polite about my life. That's in, mm, that's what I want. Yeah. And to trust that my community could be like, that's rad. That's yeah. rad. I love the potluck analogy because like, I think as part of the work that I've been doing this year is realizing that I keep like feeling like I have to bring the same dish every time and mm. like feeling really stuck with that dish. And so like even the freedom for ourselves of like one day I can bring green beans and one day I can bring cake, you know, has been really helpful. So I like it. It spoke to me. Sometimes when I think about belonging, 
for a long time I thought like, okay, I just need to like fit in with this group. And I read somewhere that fitting in is actually the opposite of belonging. And it has really challenged if we continue on this metaphor, like, can I bring something that's not on par with the rest of the menu? If we're making barbecue, what if I make a really incredible curry and I'm going to bring that? Like, Mm -hmm. and you guys are going to welcome that and say it's welcome here and pull it in and your meal belongs here, even if it doesn't fit in with the rest of the menu. Um, And I think that's such a beautiful picture too. So good. As we wrap up, um, something that we ask sometimes is what is one practice that keeps you centered? And we'd love for you to share that with our Mm. listeners. What's one practice for you that helps you live centered? So, I mean, wow. Okay. What came immediately to my heart as play. Um, oh, I love that. Yeah, play is such as I have my children are five, seven, and eight. So the invitation to play is is frequent, right? And so I just have to decide to enter in to that, you know, imagination and creativity and the world of tiny toys. And so play reminds me to not take it all so seriously, not take myself so mm. seriously, and to not know what happens next. That's a beautiful invitation and gift. I love it. Yeah, it was so fun to be with you. Um, And one of my first memories of you, you were playing like a childhood game with a bunch of adults and just watching the way that you like lit up and just were so fully Elise was like a gift to us all. And so I love that that is your practical tip because you shine so brightly when you're playing. So thank you so much for the time today. Oh, you guys, thank you. This is, it's so, it's just, it was just kind of what we got to do. Like, oh, what's going to happen now? What are we, what's going to, what's going to be next? So Mm. I appreciate your wholehearted questions and being, it's just lovely. Thank you for listening today and for committing valuable time to share space with these powerful stories. Make sure you hit subscribe to get all of our inspiring conversations with these incredible people delivered directly to you. And if you found this conversation particularly impactful, consider supporting the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. When our emotional health is suffering, many of us begin to feel alone and overwhelmed. If you're in that place right now, we deeply encourage you to ask for help. If OnSite can support you in connecting the dots with one of our programs or other offerings, our admissions team would love to connect with you. Simply call 1-800-341-7432 or visit onsiteworkshops.com.